Okay, welcome to the War Room. Ryan Ray here, as always. Today we have on a very dicey topic. But first, but first, but first, be sure to share this podcast and others around for people who want to have discussions. We have on guests from all sorts of backgrounds and opinions on this show, just like they used to do on the big TV, the big screen, the big media, big on cable TV. But now it's more of just... I'm going to pound you with my position and you ignore me. So here we go. We have on Mark Morano. He is the author of the recent book, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. And a little bit about Mark. He is a former senior staff member of the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, publisher of ClimateDepot.com, best-selling author, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change and Green Fraud, and producer of Climate Hustle, Climate Hustle 2, and of course the book mentioned above. We'll link to all of this in the show notes, which is at warroommedia.com. Now, let's talk to Mark. Mark, welcome to the War Room. Thank you for having me here, Ryan. I appreciate it. Okay, so you have recently released, as we said in the introduction, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. Okay, that title sounds conspiracy theory. Walk me off the ledge here. All right. Well, first of all, maybe you shouldn't be off that ledge because 2020 was the year that climate realities outnumbered climate conspiracies. And to even say it further, I think it was a Harvard uh, epidemiologist who said earlier this year that we are now all conspiracy observers. We're no longer conspiracy theorists. And what I mean by that is, especially in the world of COVID, almost everything that was said to be a conservative uh, from the origin of the of the virus to vaccine mandates uh, to the lockdowns to the endless you know never ending emergency declaration has all turned out to be true, and essentially the, my book The Great Reset is a simple story. It's a story of government invoking emergency powers throughout history, and I go back to the Roman uh, Republic. And this is when the greatest abuses of human rights occur. And this happens through the Middle Ages. It happens in Germany in the 1930s. It happens in America at 9-11 and leading to the terrorism emergency declaration with the Patriot Act and the surveillance state being used now, passed into law to be used against US citizens. Of course, it happens in COVID. And it's coming now with Joe Biden, according to Associated Press, about to declare a national climate emergency. So. Ultimately, this is about suspending democracy. The Great Reset is essentially the endless crisis, and it's using it's it's bypassing traditional democracy. No Congress, town council, uh, city hall, supervisors, House of Representatives. It's about unelected bureaucrats, politicians exerting their power. That's the Great Reset, and they've done it for COVID. They want to do it for climate, and we're watching it happen all around us right now. Okay, so then I have to ask the question. Uh, you were you're you're saying then because this was quite obvious to anyone before COVID. So your position is that you held you were against all shutdowns, lockdowns, the entire period of COVID. Absolutely. And in fact, it was unprecedented in epidemiological science. Essentially, I mean, there had been you know a quarantine, this and that, but there was never a mass in a free country, a mass society wide lockdown of asymptomatic healthy people you know, as a precautionary against the possible spread. This was actually, even in 2020, repeated 
by Anthony Fauci saying, can you see what China is doing? Can you imagine we could never, Anthony Fauci, we could never shut down San Francisco. We could never shut down New York until we could. Neil Ferguson, the modeler out of UK that did the whole worst in Spanish flu unless we follow China, literally said, you know, that this, this we have to follow what China is doing and China is doing it correctly. The World Health sent a sham organization, sent a sham investigation over to China in February of 2020. And they came back after a couple of days and said, if you want to stop this virus, do what China is doing, which at the time was nailing people in their home. So this was a, you know, you could call it a mass psychosis, but this was not, hey, the next pandemic, we're going to shut down the whole world and close churches and gyms and we're going to lock everyone in. In fact, Anthony Fauci himself had specifically spoken out against any attempts to control populations during any public health crisis. At the time he was talking about AIDS, a lot of people wanted to quarantine AIDS uh, victims and they were worried about the, the spread of AIDS and Anthony Fauci was their biggest champion about human rights and not locking them down or separating them. So this was against everything we'd ever done. And no, and not only did, was it against it, but it was a reason it was against it is because it completely failed. And you can look at the states with mask mandates, with not mask mandates, you can look at the countries with lockdowns and no lockdowns like Sweden versus you know other parts of Europe. There was just no difference. In fact, we're finding out as time goes on that the lockdowns killed more than the virus ever could have. And that includes all the obvious stuff, delayed cancer screenings, mental health, addiction, and just by creating more poverty, poverty kills because people in lower economic but can't afford medical care are going to have higher fatality rates. Yeah, one of the stunning things, and I was um, against lockdowns always. Yeah. And I mean, um, falling in it was it's it's you know, <laughs> it's I got a little PTSD because <laughs> following yeah. the news, we followed the news because I do an energy podcast, and so we were following the impact of oil prices because of the shutdown in Wuhan in early January. Uh, so we were seeing the reports of what type of people were getting sick, who had the virus, and then it goes yes. to Iran. And it was quite obvious to anyone who wanted to look into it. And even the study that you referenced uh, from, uh, the, from the, the NILGA, they all said the same thing. It was a certain percentage of the population who was disproportionately likely to get sick. Um, and there was, a, there was a question about the children because there wasn't any talk about the kids. But by yeah. the time the U.S. shut down, we knew that the kids weren't even because uh, um, no child under the age of 12 had died worldwide. And so it, it's a weird time in history because, to your point, and this was a big contention for us and our family was we were not, we refused to go along pretending to be sick. We weren't sick. And if we yeah. are sick, we're going to stay home. So, you know, we're not, yeah. gonna, we're not. And so, I mean, I can't think of anything more silly than pretending to be sick. And when we live in a country where we debate healthcare and what is actual sickness and how bad is, uh, you know, we're not even sure if obesity is good or bad. It would seem to be, a little bit, um, a little bit premature to start telling people to pretend to be sick for months and months and months on end. Yes, and th again, this is just absurdly um, unprecedented in at least free societies. So they quarantine sick people, and if you broke that quarantine, or if you were a country like Sweden, or if you became like Ron DeSantis, Governor DeSantis in Florida. He was called Death Santis. It was called the Death Destination. You were said to be killing grandma. So there was a huge social pressure that you just had to isolate yourself and quarantine yourself. And 
what was interesting is if you look at the epidemiological playbook, one of the things they tell you is don't cause a panic, keep everyone calm. You want to walk through, you want to explain the rationale, you want to have voluntary measures, you want to persuade the public. All that was tossed out. Instead, it was the most base guttural level of fear, panic imposed upon the population, people dying. And it was amazing because everything they did, if you look at like New York, how Governor Cuomo was this authoritarian figure threatening businesses with shutdowns and fines and bankruptcy if they dared violate it. They sent all of these asymptomatic kids home from colleges back to their parents and grandparents. And there was a huge influx of older vulnerable people getting sick because they didn't know anything. So they removed all that. And what they did is, even into the summer of 2020, they artificially created winter conditions to spread a virus even more. Now, why does a virus spread worse in the winter? Because we all huddle indoors and we're not outside enough. You're not getting vitamin D, you're not getting sunshine. And the air is, you're recycling a lot of the same air. So um, a lockdown essentially recreated that as, gov as close as government could by even in July, August, forcing everyone essentially indoors, closing all these, uh, canceling all the outdoor venues, canceling sporting events, giving no one anything to do. So they artificially pumped up the numbers. And of course, the whole idea of the, the numbers are absurd. And I do go into that in the book, the idea of, you know, you could have gunshot wounds, you could have all these other comorbidities, but if you died with COVID and if you died having a positive test, you know, up to like 28 days before you were listed as a COVID death. I mean, and then, of course, the flu disappeared, which made no sense whatsoever statistically. So this was a giant psychological psychop on the psychological operation on psychop on the American people, on the global public by a public health bureaucracy, which I detail in the book. Three separate occasions, 2010, 2018, 2019, Rockefeller, World Health Organization, John Hopkins um, and uh, there's another the World Economic Forum all did these pandemic planning events. And in these, they had these scenarios, which if you look at it, were eerily similar to what ended up happening with the vax mandates, the mask mandates, and even talk about global internet shutdowns. And they had actors portraying this and they did videos and they're very slickly done, but they wanted to stop misinformation. So they had to lock down the world. And they talked about how China you know, was the most efficient at locking down their citizens. I mean, they really nailed it. So they were in a way ready when the virus hit. Yeah, I, I do have a hard time with you, um, with, with what you're saying there, um, believing people who said that they weren't scared um, or, or, or saying that they were acting rational in that time period. Um, I suspect they were all scared because there, there was... <laughs> Well, that was the intent. When yeah, you're afraid, right. when you're scared, you can't look at stuff rationally and come up with a plan. You panic and you do whatever you're told by experts. And that's yeah, what and then want. you and then and then you also justify why you're doing it so that you can convince yourself that you're not scared. And I think that's a, an element of fear that gets left out is I'm afraid that something's going to happen. I'm going to do this. Oh, I can justify doing this as a logical reason, not that and, and try to ignore the fear. Yes. I think a lot of people pretend that that's not the world that they, that they operate in. And we all when, when we're fearful. Uh, don't, like that. don't forget masks. That was a huge psych op because a mask told everyone that there's something unusual going on. Everyone's wearing a mask. It instills a sense of terror in you. This is a different time. This is a scary time. This is unprecedented. Look, everyone's wearing masks. It was, you know, they obviously, and they knew going into this. And I go back to the 1970s showing that masks, even in hospital settings, don't prevent infection and respiratory diseases. Uh, and, I, and I mean, the only reason really to wear a mask 
is if you're actively sick with symptoms, sneezing, coughing, it'll stop the large droplets. But if you're a sick person putting a mask on and then hanging out like, hey, that's okay because they have a mask on, makes no sense. And they knew this early on. And the World Health never recommended masks. Fauci was against masks for years before that. All the evidence showed it, but they decided it was politically useful especially the cloth mask. And so they mandated that as well. And that was a big part of the, of the fear campaign. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the P- PTSD is kicking in <laughs> because yes, you yeah. see things and, you know, for listeners who are in here, who, um, you know, they did the mask, did the lockdowns. And, you know, I, I know that I know people like that. And, and it was so frustrating because in the U S if you remember um, when we shut down, uh, you know, the, the daily de- death tickers up there, which obviously is put by the news to yes. sell rating, get you tuned in. Like it's, it's quite clear while that's there. So that it's not, it's not to inform you. It's so that you stay locked in. The, death toll, the daily death toll of completely juice statistics. Right. There's no way they were in any way. But this is in this, reality. And this to me, I think was the biggest thing for people during this period of time. If you didn't catch this, then you really kind of, whatever you think of if this is conspiratorial or that the government's panicked or whatever. What do you think about that? When the George Floyd incident happened, yes, the death tolls go away. Doctors write letters about it's now it's okay for freedom of protest to happen. It's okay because it's more important than any right, virus. Right. And it, yeah. yeah. And so all of a sudden you have like a two week window there where the news doesn't talk about COVID hardly you yeah. know, relative to what they had. And the, the death toll goes off TV. And now we're like, oh, okay. And I remember thinking, okay, well, COVID is over at this point. Surely everyone sees this. And then a week or two later, they go back to what they were. They go right back to and it. And yeah. it was stunning for people on both sides of that to not stop and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Even the people who are telling us this, they don't believe this. Like, I, I, don't, yeah. like, I don't. That I don't was know a moment. Could, and, and, and talking to people, that was a huge moment when people realized this was all bull bleep. Uh, when public health official and public health authorities, after one after another, all said, well, it's okay to go out and violate all these things because this is more important than that. And this is a public health issue and racism is a number one public health issue and that's fine. And they just suspended it all. And that really told people this wasn't about a virus. And I think that is a key moment. That was, uh, I guess, what was that? Late May, June? What, that June it was, it was late May, if I remember correctly, because we were... Yeah, and the key there is because everyone had been pent up, remember, sporting events, mm-hmm. any activity schools, gyms, everything was closed. So you figure, in fact, I quote Bill Maher in the book saying the Black Lives Matter was literally, the riots were literally caused by the lockdowns. This was a pent up, well, in big part, because it was a pent up, frustrated, people with nothing to do had been locked down. And these, of course, were in big cities. So it just was like a a match that got lit. And then they had the blessing, if you will, of our leaders and the public health bureaucrats. And then, of course, the police didn't stop it. So this was, in a way, you could argue the Black Lives Matter was in response in a a sort of a reaction to these lockdowns, because you can't imagine the intensity would have been there had we not been, had they, you know, people not been locked down for months on end with no outlet, sporting events, social, and then, of course, all the economic distress that these lockdowns cause, loss of income. Well, and you're sitting there watching uh, the George Floyd incident as a as a country. Yeah, I mean, over and over in a loop. Right. Media, and yeah. so, I mean, we, well, you know, I work from home most of the time, but back then I was at the office occasionally. But yeah, we're at home watching it like, oh, my gosh, look yeah. at what's happening here. This is tragic. And of course, all of the Internet's watching and saying the same thing. And so you yeah. you you prime the pump for if an incident like that does happen, that the whole nation's attention is is focused on it. And then you have all these other 
um, elements come into play. And so it, it, it is in, what do you think though? So let's just pause at that point in time. Um, at that point in time, still most of the country or some of the country, I would say, doesn't stop and go, you know, Hey, this is, this is okay. or It's not okay. And then there's the other thing is I have some friends in Europe and they would be chastising me for what I'm doing. I want a small, I mean, there's 60,000 people in our County in Texas. Okay. We're, you know, I have neighbors, but you know, I've got to walk through a yard <laughs> to get there. You know, I don't have to go into the, so the lockdown for where I live makes no sense compared to if you think it's yeah. a justified cause compared to New York city, because I'm not breathing on anybody, but my own family. Why could America not stop and go, Hey, if we want to do lockdowns, let's talk about New York city. And then, you know, hood County, Texas has two separate entities. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. In fact, it works the opposite way. This is the idea. The power always flows to more, to fewer and fewer people. And that's the idea of this. In fact, we're getting worse because now there's a World Health Organization pandemic treaty that they're proposing. Biden administration is all in on it. So instead of your governor or even the president or even Anthony Fauci, we're going to be listening to any Bill Gates funded scientists at the WHO who will have the power to declare some kind of pandemic. They can order vax mandates, ban on travel, global lockdowns for all the countries that sign on to it. This is what they want. They just want, and if you watch these pandemic planning events in 2010 and 17, 18 and 19, this is exactly what they want. They just want control. They see it like a military general would see uh, his troops. And we are just little pawns and we have to do exactly what we're told. And it's all about stability. They could care less like you're talking about, about the difference between rural Texas and New York City. But the, but the larger question there is lockdowns don't work, have never worked and could never work to stop a virus. Government can't legislate it. You can't put arrows on the supermarket floor and expect uh, you know, a virus to, to obey these arrows. And you can't expect uh, bringing kids home from school not to have effects that are gonna be much greater than any potential virus uh, impact would be on them. So this is the real lesson. And I think in the book, I talk about reforms. We need to reform government emergency powers. We need to have a public health uh, reforms so that the, we, we strip away the power from this and have planning that doesn't allow these kind of mandates. Because again, Anthony Fauci for decades had talked about not controlling people, educating them, bringing them around. And this, all this was tossed out the window. And I don't know if it was just because of fear or because they knew, you know, don't let a crisis go to waste. They were waiting for this moment. And of course, this led to the World Health, sorry, the World Economic Forum in June of 2020 saying, this is a rare narrow window of opportunity in which to reset the world, reset capitalism. And that's where they exploited this. In the words of Jane Fonda, COVID was God's gift to the left because this was the kind of power and unelected uh, bureaucracy control that they'd always wanted since Woodrow Wilson, 1913, the idea of experts ruling every aspect of our lives. We, the unwashed masses, uh, will will cause racism, environmental destruction, a climate crisis, white supremacy, unless we are managed down to our thermostats and whether we're allowed to eat uh, hamburgers or whether we can have a plastic straw, you name it. Mm -hmm. And this is what they were looking for. So this is why COVID was such a welcome event for powers and government and international organizations. So what responsibility, we've mentioned some names here, does Donald Trump have in all this? Uh, Donald Trump has a huge responsibility. Donald Trump's instincts were correct. In the book, I say his signing 
I believe it was March 17th, it could have been March 13th, of the COVID emergency declaration, because he was essentially, we now know, 100% duped by Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks and the whole public health cabal. That was one of the greatest blunders in presidential history in probably five decades, and it cost them the election. This is what made the mail-in ballots. This is what shut the country down. This is what gave every mayor and governor dictatorial powers overnight that could cancel churches, weddings, funerals. This all emanated from essentially Donald Trump acquiescing to this. And the low point for Trump administration was his top economic advisor. And I write about this in the book, Larry Kudlow, who was on, I believe, CNBC. They asked, when is he, this is an April 21st or so, like a month after lockdown, maybe three weeks after lockdowns. When's the economy going to open up? You know, Larry Kudlow, Donald Trump's chief economic advisor. And his answer was, I don't know. You'll have to ask the medical doctors that. So the president of the United States, Donald Trump, conservative Republican, ceded control of the United States economy over to Anthony Fauci and his cohorts. That was the low point, And that cost Donald Trump the election without even, it, it tanked the economy. It allowed for unlimited mail-in ballots. His, he was toast at that point. It was done. It allowed Joe Biden to campaign from his video basement. Um, that was the end of it. So Donald Trump has a huge responsibility. The other negative of Donald Trump, and I'll tell, then I'll say positive, is he went off on this insane vaccine. Let's rush a vaccine. Let's make it a wartime thing. And let's, let's bypass all any normal thing and get this authorization. And then even to this day, and we're now in September 2022, Donald Trump is... Uh, on occasion, will still brag that he saved you know 20 million people more than the Spanish flu death toll by rushing this vaccine, which hasn't worked, doesn't prevent infection. We're finding now that even people with the vaccine have higher death rates and more severe reactions. So he doesn't get a lot of this, but instinctively he got it. But I think he 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 wanted to promote the vaccine, which didn't work out for him, which then led to the vaccine mandates. Uh, and but the good thing about Donald Trump is. He understood early on, he knew this was uh, overblown. He even brought in some great people like Scott Atlas to fight this, but his Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, absolute disaster. His CDC director, Redfield, who's trying to rewrite history and come out like he was a good guy, absolute disaster. And here's an odd thing to mention. If Hillary Clinton was president in March of 2020, would the public have been accepting of huge lockdowns and emergency decree coming from Hillary Clinton or would half the country have rebelled? The problem is Donald Trump did it. So we thought, OK, two weeks to flatten the curve. We now know that they were he was lied to directly by public health. And he should have known better because Michael Fomento, who I quote extensively in the book, had done research on Fauci for decades just the year before public health was caught basically lying about the dangers of vaping and exploiting a, a tragedy of black market vapes causing lung ailments. Everything public health does, did, and continues to do is about increasing the power of the state, getting more revenue, getting more regulatory power, and they will say and do anything to support that. And that's what the game is all about. It's so funny to hear you say that because during, during this period of time, I was telling people, I said, okay, do you mean to tell me in the South that churches would not meet because Hillary Clinton said you couldn't. Yes, He's but they would be deplorable. There's there's almost a zero percent chance that any conservative church would yeah. take that. They they just wouldn't. And so, guys, you, you you're being whatever you know you're being duped because you think Trump knows we talking about. And let's I'm a, I'm a pound on Trump here for a second because I think um, his supporters are, are too gracious to him. 
he wanted to be the king of the ventilators, if we remember that as well. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I can't believe, yeah, he didn't really, he just thought he was helping. But yeah, that well, but, but point, the point is that, that Trump wants to take, to your point yeah, about yeah. the vaccine, he wants to take all of his credit yes. all the time. And he can't ever, so it makes it impossible yes. for him to actually lead well in a tough time because he just wants to be popular and liked. And so if ventilators are good or vaccine's good or, or whatever's good. Um, and some of his comments about how the governors was handling things kind of go back and forth. Um, maybe they should open, maybe they shouldn't open. And so, yeah, seeding the power. And then, and, and then about the doctor thing, um, you know, well, the doctors say you shouldn't do this. Well, okay. If you are a person who's sick and the doctor says you can't, you shouldn't go to work. You go, okay, I shouldn't go to work, doctor says. But if you don't go to work, you have no other way to pay your bills. Maybe you should figure out a way to make money despite what the doctor says. And so there was no conversation about how the economy should run, run what we should do with children in schools. It was very much a, we're going to top down, instigate um, this, this, this mandate and people should follow it without thinking about other secondary causes that are going to come from this. And it was, it was quite bizarre because a lot of smart people fell for this. And so I've never seen anything like that. Never seen that's, and that's, I do quote uh, Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. This was a form of mass psychosis that just hit upon the public. It turned neighbor against neighbor. Uh, I detail in the book and in, uh, in the city of Los Angeles, if you had a backyard barbecue that had more than, I don't know, six people, your neighbor could rat you out to the, to the government, get a reward from the government, and then you, as a consequence, could be fined and have utilities cut off for violating the COVID protocol. This was the kind of insanity. In Michigan, they allowed stores to partially reopen, but they closed off gardening supplies. And there was like tape and plastic over it. You weren't allowed to buy anything to do gardening, even though you were locked at home. And I can't even remember the actual justification at the time, but it was very Soviet. The idea was that you know, you, you, they were going to control what you could buy and they didn't want you buying this product because it might lead to, you know, some kind of social interaction. It was it was bonkers. And this literally people got into this mindset. I mean, I did it. I would go into places without a mask. People would be freaking out, threatening to call the police. I mean, this was the world in which they like because it's all about no dissent allowed. And this is what China is all about. And so the book, I actually detail Western leaders who for decades have praised China's one party authoritarian rule. And they got to play that once 2020, March 2020 hit, they got to be like China. The once free West became like Chinese style one party rule. And that's what they don't want to give up. That's where we still are. We're still living under a COVID emergency. Biden keeps extending it. Mayors, governors still have these emergency powers. Joe Biden, according to the Associated Press, Washington Post, is set to declare a national climate emergency. He's going to do it in July. They may wait. He's probably going to wait till after the midterm. 130 executive powers, wartime powers to both Biden, mayors, governors. They can do more thermostat controls. They can do car-free cities. They can do uh, limits on gasoline and transportation. I mean, they're going to do anything they want because it's a climate emergency. And this is just continuing on. They're not giving this up. They don't want democracy. It's the Chinification of America. This is bypassing democracy. COVID gave them this gift of how to do it. And we're, we're a compliant public that accepted it. Okay, so let's move on. Because I, I toured the country um, in leading up, to the two weeks leading up to the election. Okay, so I went to okay. uh, Milwaukee, Chicago, Cleveland, Philadelphia, uh, New York City, New Jersey, Baltimore, and then I was actually in D.C. for election night. And when I think back on that time, the most 
surprising thing was obviously people were divided on COVID. You know, some people thought it was a, the greatest threat. Some people didn't care, uh, kind of all in the middle. Um, but the one consistent thing I remember as far as, you know, percentages go would be that most people were unsure about the vaccine. Um, they generally didn't have a strong opinion. They weren't really sure if it was going to work or if it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, how, as you kind of wrote the book, when you kind of follow these, these, these threads through history, how is it that the culture can't agree on any of this stuff, right? So we have COVID, then we have the vaccine, which we're not sure of, and then the vaccine is the greatest thing for half, and for the other half, it's meaningless. And how is it that our country can't ever figure out what to do with any of these topics? <laughs> well, I think it comes down to trust in government officials. And I think Anthony Fauci is probably your best example because he was the, the number one voice. I mean, he was talking out of all sides of his mouth. And instinctively, a person who looked at him critically, not someone who was just, what happened was that sort of the Trump derangement syndrome happened. So you'd have the country, if Fauci said it, it didn't matter. It was the truth because Trump was evil and you know he had to, he had to fight Trump. But essentially, once you get into government mandates, and even like you said, the vaccine, people were indifferent. I was indifferent. I mean, I, here's the thing. When I first heard about the vaccine, I didn't, was no way I was ever going to take it. No one in my family took it because I didn't trust the people pushing it at that point. I had seen all the lies and manipulation, the used car sales tactics, the lobbying, the ends justifies the means. So that's the bottom line. Uh, but I think once you start mandating stuff and once you start having government do it, that's where you get that division and you lose all sense of social cohesion or anyone willing to go along with it. And I think that's, and they kept doubling and went, especially once Biden came in, they doubled, tripled down all the cities with the vax mandates. I will say on your air for broadcast, I openly violated. I went to Boston, checked into a hotel during their vaccine mandate. Sir, do you have a vaccine mandate? You can't eat breakfast down here. You can't use the gym or the pool. Oh, okay, yeah, hold on. I went up, pulled an image off of Google image defraudently went in, won't give you dates, times, and used it, had no qualms about it whatsoever. You cannot give in to this absolute nonsense. So once they started that, there was no way you could ever have any cohesion on this. And again, it's all because it's the same people pushing this were pushing a climate scare, same people pushing this had pushed all these failed virus scares of the past. Uh, they were wrong on many important things. I talk in great detail about public health failure with AIDS, public health failure with all these other pandemics. And it's always the same model, same as in climate change. Predict all this scary stuff, have a big you know, uh, government-empowered solution to save you, or else we're all going to die. And it's always about fear and trying to get people to come around. And people instinctively know when they're being lobbied when fear is being used to get them to do something. And I think that's why you didn't have cohesion. And you made a great point though. Had Hillary been president, I think we would have been, not saying I didn't want Trump to be president, but I think you would have had a much stronger reaction against these lockdowns uh, early on. And imagine Hillary, you're right, Hillary closing churches, but hey, Trump did it. Hey, it's only a few weeks, two weeks mm -hmm. to flatten the curve, which we now know without a doubt was a lie because Deborah Burks just wrote in her book, which was released uh, about how all the public health officials knew they were lying to Trump, but they wanted to buy time. And so they duped them into this, you know, 15 days to slow the spread. Okay. So COVID is going to be something, it, it's really weird because um, if you take something like the Iraq war, which I'm, so I'm 37. So I was um, just out of high school, I guess, early in college. And so I was a proponent of it then. Of course, now I think it's an abomination. Um, and have thought that for some time. 
Yeah. Um, and a lot of people will have kind of shifted their opinion on the Iraq war. Um, I shifted my now. opinion. George W. Bush, uh, Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney, the left was right. Halliburton was a you know war profiteering thing. They're, they're the most loathsome figures as I look back at them, uh, particularly for everything they did. The whole war on terror, the whole uh, the Afghanistan occupation, the Iraq war, the original uh, uh, Saddam, uh, was it the Gulf War in 1990, didn't support. So this, I'm sorry, I, don't, I didn't step on your point. But it's amazing how this kind of an event that's so last chatting makes you go back and, and look at your history, revise your own political views. And I have a whole chapter on that in the book about politically left people doing it. They're reevaluating their whole allegiance to the Democratic Party. Naomi Wolf said she wouldn't even have voted for Biden if he knew he was going to be supporting vax mandates and lockdowns. She was shocked by it. And, and I feature all these other liberal Hollywood liberal Russell Brand, a socialist, mm. loved Obama, now has come around and not quite praising Trump, but he is against everything, you know, all this, uh, he looks at this all as tyranny. It's tyranny versus freedom as opposed to left-right politics. Well, well, okay, so on the Iraq war, for me particularly, sure. I, I, my, my view of um, foreign wars in general has shifted. And so, yes. um, you, know, there, you know, the WMD debate and all that is, is also part of it, but my general thesis on you know, foreign wars have has shifted. But I say that to say that people have come around and said, you know, we were right about, the, we, were, we were wrong about the Iraq war, uh, we support the wrong side or, or, or whatever. Um, and yet when we, we go through, we still have, you know, we still support many foreign wars and we're not, there's not really a true outcry. If you listen to Trump, sometimes he's against the wars. Sometimes he's going to bomb everybody to oblivion. Um, so Mostly he was pretty good on that. He wasn't, I mean, he, he, he fell into the war machine trap several times, but not if you compare him to previous administrations, he was a huge improvement. Because he was, but he didn't. I mean, his deal was he's going to bring people home. I, I'm simply saying he's that not able to. It's like it's kind of like it's kind of like Reagan saying he's going to close the Department of, Trans of Education. It's not going to happen. This is the deep state. They yes, Donald Trump. He tried to do a climate commission. He actually authorized it, but his top economic advisor killed it, and they just they there's a he had. It's, you can't, it's not, that would not, you can't unilaterally necessarily do that. It's a, it's a huge battle to just bring everyone home and do all that. His heart was in the right place, much like it was with the public health bureaucrats, but it's, you know, it's a much bigger job than any one president and any first term can do. Yeah, perhaps. I I'm, not, I, I don't, see, I'm, I'm not willing to impute the, all the motives that you are to Trump. I, I would question, I mean, you know, we've had on people that, I mean, and you know, for your perspective, you know, I don't vote for Trump or Clint, uh, Biden or Clinton, so I don't vote for any of them. Um, but, you know, I voted for Trump as an FU to the system. That right. was like the first Republican I'd voted for in a long time. I usually throw my votes away on taxpayer party libertarians, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I just said to say, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I'm willing to um, give Trump all of, all the benefit of the doubt on some of that stuff. Perhaps, I mean, there, there's definitely been reports of the, uh, I don't know if it's a general, but there was a um, attache sent somewhere and they, they were lying to him about troop movement. So he's definitely up against it on, on some level. Um, yeah. I, but my only point is, it took that long for people, you know, probably 10 years to revisit the Iraq war and say, hey, they're wrong about it. Um, you know, whereas COVID, I don't know, there's been a few people who have come around, but it still seems today that people are not really wanting to say, yeah, we overreacted there. At what point as a society will it be acceptable to say, and I'm sympathetic to people if they would say, listen, because I, I have some friends who don't follow the news, they turn the news on. And they're hearing all this news and like, oh, my gosh, we're all going to die. And then a month later, they're like, OK, OK, that was craziness. So I'm sympathetic on some level to some people who don't follow the news, getting swept up in it for a short period of time. 
but we're a couple years removed and you're not hearing a lot of people going, oh yeah, that was a, that was terrible. B the things that we've endorsed are, are bad precedents for what's coming down the road. They are very bad precedent. I will say this. It's a divided country. I don't think that Texas, Florida, Georgia, uh, South Carolina, uh, North Dakota, even uh, any Republican state led chiefly Republican state would ever lock down again or issue a mask mandate. I just don't think it would happen. I do think the Democrats and liberal states would. We're already seeing it. Look at the universities. They still have vax mandates and masks in Philadelphia public schools. Kids have to wear a mask for the first 10 days of school. I mean, that's a power play. So I think it's a divided. I think you can never get that kind of national, you know, where even Ron DeSantis shut down and uh, and all these Republican governors. The, the most, I mean, I'd say the most pathetic, but the disappointing are like the Texas governor. I guess he's sort of like your George W. Bush governor, Governor Abbott. You know, he 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 fell into the trap of a lot of this stuff and was very timid. I think compared. Oh, to he was terrible. Timid. I mean, terrible. Just just for your perspective. Um... You might remember the story of, uh, I think it's Shelley Luther, the the barber up in Dallas, um, who I do, yeah, yeah. Got, the judge yelled at her, right? Well, and, and yeah. he was operating off of Abbott's order, and Abbott's like, I can't yeah. believe the judge is doing that. It's like, well, yes. you, did you read what you actually issued? Because you could rescind your order any day, yeah, yeah. And so then he did, and he was like, and so, but it was the outcry around her case that made him flip side so no he, he yeah, yeah from he, what he, i understand abbott just responds the pressure yeah. doesn't want to look bad okay exactly. but to answer your question though i do think that at least half the country will never go back to that voluntarily meaning and in, in, in they have control over it but remember biden administration openly talked about bans on interstate travel national lockdowns we now have a who pandemic treaty floating around which would give us international obligations i you know it depends on who you mean i think generally the history is being written right now. And I think the voices of like the Barrington Declaration and all these scientists who were opposed to the lockdowns, they're getting a lot of credibility. Because literally, if you watch this, even the New York Times is slow walking it back. The Atlantic Magazine, slow walking it back. They're admitting that the death toll wasn't that high. They're admitting that lockdowns kill. They're admitting that masks didn't work. So little by little, but here's the thing, it's about ego, it's about power. It's about people not wanting to admit they're wrong. It's going to take years for this to happen. But I'm actually quite satisfied if you follow what the mainstream media organs have been doing, not the bureaucrats. Fauci's never going to admit it. World Health, they're never going to admit it because they can't. But I'm talking about the, the reporters and journalists and the narrative. It's slowly walking it all back. And so they'd have a hard time convincing other than the, you know, the hardcore 40%. Of course, if there's another virus, the colleges are going to shut down. All the major liberal cities are going to shut down. New York, California, they're going to all be the same. You can't change that. They're going to do the crazy. They do crazy. They're going to do crazy. But you're not going to see the other half of the country do it. And that's the big plus here. And we're a divided country. But I, I do think there's been progress. I don't think we'll have a national repeat. I think you're going to have, you know, like I said, you're going to have this, the, the normal crazies doing a repeat of it if it happens again. Okay. So with that in mind, then what is the fear of a permanent lockdown? The fear of a permanent lockdown is even in a, in a place like, uh, say, Florida, right, which you look at as a bastion of freedom, with what they've done uh, with COVID as the template, we now have medical journals, scientific journals, all saying we need to lock down style for a climate using the template of COVID. We need to have 
digital programmable currency. And this is happening. We saw it happen directly in Canada, where uh, Justin Trudeau cut off the Freedom Convoy protests against vaccine and mandates and COVID lockdowns, cut off access to their own money, corporate government collusion. This is the big fear. So MasterCard and uh, United Nations have teamed up to have a credit card. It started last year. It's voluntary right now to monitor your carbon footprint. If you spend too much on meat, fuel, gas, what they deem is unnecessary, it, it cuts off your ability to spend if, once you reach your carbon max. So the danger is from a government corporate collusion that's affecting everything. And here's how I outline it. They're intentionally collapsing our energy system. We didn't vote. We didn't even vote to end plastic straws. But you notice you go to a lot of restaurants, you're seeing these crap paper things that dissolve. We didn't vote to end the internal combustion engine. But did you notice that California, through an executive order and through an unelected a, a carbon uh, California Air Resources Board, issued a decree that cars have to go? And did you notice that 17 states are tied to California's decision? Did you notice the Biden administration wants to do this without a vote as well? Did you notice the World Bank wants to stop funding gas-powered cars at the automaker level? Did you see the Australian bank who won't give loans to anyone who wants to buy a gas-powered car? So they're intentionally collapsing ours without a vote, without democracy. Food supply, the UN issues a report, nitrogen fertilizers are a dangerous greenhouse gas. This is a few years ago. Suddenly that becomes part of a net zero agenda. 12,000 farms are gonna be shut down in the Netherlands, mostly small, medium, family-run generation farms. Netherlands is the number one meat exporter in Europe. They're gutting meat and high yield agriculture in Europe. Sri Lanka tries it, the country goes under, the government's overrun. Canada now implementing the same battle against high yield agriculture. Australia doing the same thing. Australian scientists, this will decimate Australian farming. They're coming in the United States, Bill Gates gobbling up farmland. So whether you think, oh, people don't support it or we have a good governor, it's irrelevant. They're collapsing our food. They're collapsing global uh, transportation system now and by, by basically creating intentional car shortages. Uh, they've, they've, they're affecting our freedom of speech. We now know that big tech censorship is government censorship, and it doesn't matter who your governor is. You can't prevent that or stop that. We have banks that are stopping credit cards for former Trump officials like uh, General Flynn because they don't agree with his politics. You have public health places like Candace Owen couldn't get a COVID test because the company, this wasn't just some rogue employee, but the company didn't like her stance against lockdown, so she was denied medical treatment. Um, this is happening it has nothing to do with who you vote for. It's corporate government collusion at a sort of bureaucratic level. And we need massive and institutional uh, reforms in which to fight it. So it's, it's energy, food, transportation, digital banking, where they're actually the Central Bank of England announced they're going to have programmable currency where government will decide what you spend is going to be sensible. And again, this isn't like, oh, this might be down the road. All the stuff I'm mentioning is happening now. We didn't vote to end hamburger meat or meat eating. That's being imposed upon us by making rare meat rare, expensive, and by, uh, again, by all these regulations now going in on cows, again, methane. So that's where the danger is. So it's not like, oh, you know, I'll just make sure I vote well or, you know, Republican states will be free. It doesn't work that way because this is the administrative state. The, uh, the goal here is to make it so that whoever you vote for, mayor, governor, supervisor, president, it's not going to matter because the real power will reside in the unelected bureaucracy. Case in point is the tennis player who wanted to come to the U.S. The Biden administration was at Devoja. How do you say his name? Um, Doja uh, Vick or whatever. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Joe, they uh, asked Joe, the Biden uh, administration, how come he can't come? And they're like, well, we'd love to have him come. But, you know, that's the CDC rule about the vaccine. Sorry, we can't help you. The CDC is an unelected, unaccountable bureaucracy. The Biden administration is basically saying we can't do anything because the CDC said so. CDC is telling people they don't have to pay rent. And again, no one voted for this stuff. That's the key here. So that's the Great Reset. And I go to great pains to show this happening globally. And it's at least a 100-year-old philosophy in the United States. I show in the 1930s, literally a version of the Great Reset of uh, uh, by uh, one of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's top advisors. He actually says, why should the Soviets have all the fun remaking the world? Today, the question would be, why should the Chinese have all the fun remaking the world? As we go like lemmings following them on social credit systems, scores and all that. So this is our issue. I think it's, uh, people feel it, they know it, they see it happening. When you can't buy a gas powered car, what you're paying at the pump, they're in trying to ultimately nationalize energy, nationalize food system, nationalize transportation. We're very close to that. And it's not gonna be the old type nationalization where the government owns it. It's gonna be a corporate government collusion, a version of sort of uh, 21st century fascism, I think is the phrase uh, that Glenn Beck and others have used. Yeah, I think a couple of things there. One, um, it, it, it's complicated for me to figure out, you know, why are they doing the various things that they do? Because um, you could paint the picture that they think that they're doing the best thing. Um, well, it's an idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say this, though. The one pushback I'll give you here is if the energy crisis, which has been foreshadowed for many, many years in Europe, happens this winter and is as bad as some people yes. are predicting it to be. My prediction before this is before COVID, before Russia invaded Ukraine, was that it could it's possible with European energy policy that you could have an event so bad that people die and it changes European energy policy yes. dramatically. The, you know, so that was that had nothing to do with COVID, had nothing to do with this is you know six years now. Um, it had nothing to do with, with the Russia stuff. So the policy was already so bad that it could have happened on its own. Now we're pushing it to the point where a really cold winter, things go the right way, it could be very bad in Europe. I would submit that if that happens, and I'm not wishing it, of course, um, that events this close in nature, COVID lockdowns, <clears throat> economic collapse, now large nations struggling to heat their families in the winter, I'm not sure that, that these apparatuses can continue to function because okay. of the turn of people and the frustration that could happen. Absolutely right. In fact, I don't consider what you're saying pushing back. This is my final chapter. It's called The Great Reject, Resist the Great Reset. And it's exactly what you say. I actually use the example of defunding the police. If you look back during the George Floyd protest, this was a movement that just every Democrat politician, mayor, all supporting this. We had to defund the police. There were even calls to abolish police departments in, in crazier places like Seattle. So we got to see in the last two years a real-time experiment of what happens when you remove police power and, and funding, and every major city in the, in the country went to hell. Uh, whether it was you know, minor crimes to shootings to drugs, I just it went crazy to the point that less than two years after the George Floyd uh, Black Lives Matter rally riots, Joe Biden goes to his State of the Union address and says, we need to fund the police and Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi all, you know, standing ovation from the Democrats. So politically, it's no longer acceptable 
for a Democrat, except in a few key uh, strongholds, to actually advocate defunding the police anymore. That's how quick it happened in real time. You're absolutely right when it comes to climate. The problem with the climate has been energy climate issue agenda is your people like Arnold Schwarzenegger 15 years ago passing these draconian climate 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 bill. He's a climate hero. But guess what? All the mandates are years into the future. So Arnold Schwarzenegger never paid any price. Nothing happened while he was in office. So he got to go around as a climate hero without doing anything. Years later, the, the shit's hitting the fan now. And people are realizing all of these mandates, all this virtue signaling that has been going on for decades, particularly in Europe, they're realizing it, that this is, this is the problem. So it's been a much longer lag. So the question is, and it remains to be seen, Will Europeans, will U.S., will we realize that this is part of the, an agenda that we can't affect even CO2 level in the atmosphere? In other words, John Kerry has said on multiple occasions, we could reduce U.S. emissions to zero in Europe and Canada and Australia, the developed world, and it wouldn't affect CO2 levels because China, India, and the developing world are ramping up so much. So all we're doing is self-harm. You know, we need like a psychiatrist. We're cutting ourselves, but we're doing even more than that. We're abusing ourselves. And we're killing ourselves energy-wise, and it's all for this promise of a you know, weather utopia that will have less severe hurricanes. It's bonkers. It's nuts. has real-world consequences. I don't know. I've been following this debate on climate and energy two decades. I still don't see. I still see it. The public is so easily manipulated on it. But let's hope. I don't want to say let's hope. Let's hope there's a they're red pilled. I don't want to hope for bad things, but mm -hmm. we'll see how this happens. We there's there's precedent for people seeing these horrible things and then realizing it. And maybe this will put a nail on the coffin to this insane Green New Deal vision, but remains to be seen. Yeah, and I, I, would, I would simply say that, um, you know, again, the energy policies in Europe have been abysmal for years. Uh, there's been you know, a vast debate about. One of the things I did think Trump was right on um, was chastising Europeans for buying um, from, uh, from Russia and then wanting us to pay for NATO. It's like, you're wanting to work with the mafia yeah. and, oh, you want us to pay to cover the bill. Um, I'm fine with you if you don't work for Russia, if you want to buy for Russia, but just don't say that you need defense from them. Um, so we have these these terrible policies. But the other thing about the, the CO2 is, um, if you look at emerging markets, especially in Africa, you know they have vast oil and gas resources that they need to exploit to get them up to first world standards. Um, and yeah. so it, it's, it's, it's a stunning argument to say to them, no, 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 no. You, you can't oh, yeah. do that. Oh, by the way, China, India, whomever that has them and can can exploit them is going to. Um, and so I, I think that you are right that the public has has struggled. And I just the red pill thing, I think, is a concern because I'm not sure. I think we've kind of gotten into the, hey, you're red pilled. You're right. But a lot of people were red pilled. We're going with Trump's narrative during COVID. And so it's it, it needs to be more than red pilled. It needs to be um, a sense in which you actually stop. And say, OK. If climate change is real, this has been my question for years, uh, at least two years now, but, but predate this incident. Why did Bill Gates just buy a $42 million property yes. in San Diego on the beach? If it's real, and it's as dangerous as he says it is, why is he doing that? Why does he need to fly in his book? I got right here somewhere. Why does he need to fly over the world? He can Zoom or Microsoft Teams or, or, or whatever. People don't need to see Bill Gates to close deals because he's got that kind of stroke. Why is it the people who are saying this the most or most are not living? They may own some land in Kansas, but they're not living in Kansas. Okay. Why is it the case? And if the ocean levels are rising, aren't there other solutions we should consider? So no one's talking about those things. And, and I would yeah. just say that that's the questions that we should just, if you think it's the greatest threat, okay, can we stop it? 
according to these metrics? Well, according to the models, we can't actually stop it because it'd be devastating to the economy. So then what should we do? And no one talks about that, the alternative to preventive measures and so, uh, or uh, responsive measures, if you will. And so that's what I don't, I, I find stunning that, that no one's on that side talking about it. So how would you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. If you look at their climate solutions, just taking aside the science for a minute, none of the solutions they propose would even impact global CO2 emissions. This includes the Inflation Reduction Act. This includes the Green New Deal. Even the UN Paris Agreement, if you believe their climate models, which you shouldn't from the United Nations, would have a temperature difference in 20, the year 2100 basically undetectable, indistinguishable from not having it, according to their own estimates. So this is assuming every country follows their climate pledges, which wouldn't happen anyway. So the question is, you look at these things from a cost-benefit analysis, they fail spectacularly. And you look at it like, what should you do? And if we actually faced a climate catastrophe, we would have done what we have been doing, which is what we've been doing since the first Earth Day, Increasing uh, with, with increased population and economic growth, we've radically cleaned up air and water quality. And in recent years, we've, we've increased with, through technological innovation, natural gas fracking replaced coal. Under Donald Trump, when we pulled out of the UN Paris Agreement, the United States was leading the world in reduced CO2 emissions. We, if you cared about reducing CO2, we were doing it through wealth, economic growth, and technological innovation. And also, there's been a 99% drop in climate-related deaths, extreme weather since the year 19, since the 1920s. That's happened because of economic growth, fossil fuels. We've taken unsafe weather and we've made it safe through our development, through early warning systems, and the fact that extreme weather actually hasn't increased on climate timescales of 50 to 100 years. And this is even acknowledged by the United Nations and in our own government reports. Yeah, most people miss that, which is, as uh, and China's a great example of this, as yeah. China's GDP has grown, they have the population has demanded that they clean up their air because they don't want to live in the same stuff that they lived in when they're in poverty. So poverty, as you alleviate poverty, you actually make things cleaner. It's, it's just- much better. If you go to, you know, I was in Kenya and to, for one of the UN climate summits and went on a safari, but I went out to the Maasai uh, warriors and all these places and, and it's burning dung in, uh, in their huts, poor air quality. It's pollution. It's polluting the rivers. If you go in places like the Amazon, which I've been, you have the slash and burn agriculture, which luckily is now, you know, even the New York Times, for every acre of rainforest cut, 50 are being regenerated. Why? Because people are leaving the jungles and moving to urban and suburban areas. So, you know, there's so much, there's so many different ways to go about this. The last way you would ever pick is like we have to go full Marxist and centrally plan every aspect of our lives and COVID is the model. And that's what they literally say. I want John Kerry, Al Gore, United Nations, literally say we need to follow the COVID model. If we can shut down the economy for a, for a virus, we can do the same thing for the climate. I have a, all these quotes in the book. At first they were jealous. So it's insane. And let's just assume we face the climate emergency. You would want a prosperous, wealthy economy because they have the cleanest environments, they have the technological know-how, and they can use, if we, you know, we could expand nuclear if you actually had it, but they don't like nuclear because nuclear doesn't require their number one criteria for addressing climate. And if you listen to it, it's their number one, radical transformation of society. This is a Marxist philosophy they're trying to impose under the cover of climate. And frankly, that's what happened with the virus too. It was a fascist central planning vision under the cover of a virus. And when I say fascist, what I specifically mean 
as you can see that corporate government collusion. We now know from just this last two weeks, Ryan, is the Freedom of Information Act. Biden administration would send out a list of names, get these off the internet, big tech would write back, done. What else you have? How about this website? We're on it right now. Big tech censorship is government censorship. So they're collapsed our freedom of religion, freedom of speech. They collapsed um, uh, property rights, whole movement now to stop car ownership, equity asset firms, buying up real estate all over the globe, not only the globe, but in major U.S. cities. Bill Gates, number one U.S. farmland owner, competing with China for that arm uh, honor, the number one single U.S. farmland owner. Bill Gates pushing, of course, the fake meat and um, insect eating. That's the other thing. They want to stop meat eating. And that's where they're going out to the Netherlands, largest exporter of uh, meat to Europe. And what do they want to replace it with? The fake vegetable process, like Beyond Impossible Burger, but also synthetic beef. And I'll just take a moment. Bill Gates brags that this is real meat because they get stem cells from an animal. They put it in a lab. It grows into some sort of invasion of the body snatcher type blob with some sort of bone. And this is where they harvest the meat from. So they're not, they're living tissue from animals, but it's not really an animal. And this is what they want to do. This engineered meat. This is what Bill Gates is promoting instead of, you know, cattle ranching or anything like that. So as America's single largest farmland owner who have huge sway, the other thing is the United Nations, Hollywood celebrities, World Economic Forum, pushing insect eating huge. Just last week, a thousand schools in Australia got cricket snacks and they did these propaganda videos of the kids eating the cricket snacks saying, are you going to go home and tell your parents? And the person in charge in Australia, the, the, the administrator is like, hey, this will be great. They'll go home and pester their parents. It's a psychop to make you accept eating insects so that you'll be able to stop eating meat. They want insects to replace meat as your primary source of protein. Okay, where can people find out more about what you have going on? Obviously, we'll link to the book in the show notes, but where else do you want to send people to? Uh, well, my website is climatedepot.com. That's my daily website. I'm, I'm at Climate Depot on Twitter. And the book is called, you know, obviously, The Great Reset, uh, the Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. And it's a fun book, as depressing as I may be here today. Uh, <laughs> the book opens with a Rod Serling quote. It's a resource guide. I have a plethora of quotes research. I got Richard Carlin jokes, uh, the, the comedian. I got Bill Maher in there. Uh, and I really lay it out. I even have people calling the Great Reset a hoax, the BBC. I have liberals attacking other liberals, calling it a smoothie, a great, uh, not a conspiracy, but it's a smoothie conspiracy of the left and the right joining together. So I want people to be able to make up their own minds. And I really do give you the history and the whole movement uh, of, of what is happening here, what the great reset is slash new world order slash you will own nothing and you'll be happy is the slogan of the great reset. Okay. Well, I'd love to get you on in the early spring after we see how the winter plays out in Europe, because there's probably going to be a lot sure. to unpack there. So uh, best of luck on the book and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Okay. What do you think of Mark's Predictions, the talk in general, is it an alarmist view? Crazy? Or is he dead on? You can have that discussion now at Substack, which is at warroommedia.com. Warroommedia.com. Hop in and let me hear your thoughts.